0: welcome in to another episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I'm Scott Agnes. Lots going on right now. Unfortunately, basketball season is closer to the end than ever before. Prior to Game 4 on Friday night, I spoke with Brian Windhorst, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine. I appreciated him taking time out of his very busy schedule. Every time I look on my TV, tuned to ESPN, he's right there providing his analysis of the game of the series, of LeBron, of what's next for the Cavaliers after the Warriors inevitably win their second title in three years. And we hit on a variety of subjects. First and foremost, the Cavaliers, what's gone wrong, what's next for LeBron and the Cavaliers, and also how dominant this finals and this postseason run has been for the Golden State Warriors and whether that's good for the league. And then, yes, Indiana Pacers fans. Then we get into the Pacers, what's next for them. Is it smart? as I always say, to plan for after LeBron and what's new with the Paul George saga. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast on iTunes. That's where you can listen to new and archived episodes. And if you have a second, I'd really appreciate you taking the time on iTunes to leave your feedback. Five stars. That would be great. Here's my conversation with Brian Winhorst of ESPN. Happy to be joined on the phone by Brian Winhorst of ESPN.com. He's obviously busy throughout the year covering the Cavaliers, but also the entire NBA, and nobody knows LeBron James and the Cavaliers like Brian Windhorst. Brian, how's things going for you in Cleveland?
1: Well, it could. It felt like the last day of school at the Cavs facility this morning. Um, will it be? I don't know. I don't, I don't have high hopes for the Cavs tonight.
0: And they haven't really given us much hope. It felt like it seemed like that game three the other night was their best chance. It felt like they were right in it and they let it slip through their hands.
1: Yeah, I mean, they didn't shoot the three ball well. I mean, it it wasn't a perfect game for them, but you're not going to play a perfect game against the Warriors. And to get 39 out of LeBron and 38 out of Kyrie, and they held the Warriors to like – 30 something percent shooting in the third quarter and they have a six point lead with three minutes to go. I mean, all of these things point to, you know, victory and they weren't able to do it. And that's, you know, they had the mistakes, but, but obviously the Cavs are a great team. They pounded teams throughout the entire playoffs. Obviously the team they showed in the playoffs was the team they were in the regular season. They it was sort of in hibernation. Um, uh, uh, you know they, they are playing against a, a great team of all time. I think in, in a lot of seasons, uh, this Cavs team would be good enough to win the championship, but this is not one of them.
0: One of the interesting things that came out of the press conference a couple days ago prior to Game 3 uh, was Marla Rittenauer asking about whether LeBron's a little bit tired. Funny because we had her on the show before that, and then she talked about, hey, I've been answering questions about that. Do you feel like, not just LeBron, but the Cavs, you can see them being a little bit fatigued out there?
1: Oh, you were the person she was referring to when she said people? people I, w- I
0: was people not people. Asked. The other guy on the show who I'm filling in for, Kent Sterling, was the one that asked her. He was people, though, <laughs> yes.
1: Well, Kent was right. And just because LeBron said he, he wasn't, um, you know, they obviously are taxing him a lot. You can see the pace of the game slow down as the game goes on. I mean, the Warriors played great in the last three minutes of game three, but the contribution to it was the fact that Cavs were completely exhausted. and um that's, you know, it's not because the Cavs are in bad shape. I mean, they they uh, were a terrific team throughout the entire playoffs. It's just that the Warriors stress you in ways that no team has ever stressed anybody, quite frankly. So they ran out of gas, and it's a bigger problem because um, the Cavs are not that good without LeBron on the court, and this is one of the things that they have to examine in the off season, no matter what happens tonight. Um, they were, I think, minus like 245 with him on the bench this Mm. year. Um, They've been minus 45 in the playoffs and minus, I think, 22 in this series. I mean, that right there just shows you as the stress level has gone up, the problem has increased. And so um, that is fatigue-based but also scheme-based and personnel-based, all these things that are contributing to why the Warriors have been the better team.
0: Brian Winhorst of ESPN and ESPN.com joining us. Golden State generally seems like they're very open, straightforward. I love that about Steve Kerr. Draymond, love him or hate him, he's the same way. But I think they've stressed towards being on the safe side when talking about does sweeping and having the 16-0, and 0, being the only team to ever do that, mean something to them. How much do you think they've truly thought about being able to be part of history with that.
1: Well, well I think they like the history. I think, I mean, I think you know, just put yourself in, in their shoes, you would feel the same way probably. Um, but I think more than anything, they had to sit around for a year and get made fun of for the 3-1. I mean, I saw this over and over and over, even when they were running through the Eastern playoffs. Um, you know, you heard people saying, oh, yeah, but you blew a 3-1 lead. You know, and so I just think they want to be the champions again. Um, and for Durant, this has been a ten-year mission. And you know, um, I can appreciate what he is going through. You know, hitting that big giant shot to basically win Game Three. You know, I, I was with LeBron when he had to take. You know, he took. He lost in the finals in 07 and then didn't get back for three years, and he had to deal with those defeats and and realize that he you know. People were questioning whether he could be a champion and everything, and for him to build up to what he did. I mean, I can appreciate the way they feel. So, yeah, I think the history is nice, and I think that you know, going down and being in the argument for being the best team, and and in the future when they have get-togethers, they can they can enjoy that. And you know, when they have a Halloween party next fall, they can put sixteen to zero and make fun of the Cavs if they uh, if they win. But I think they they just want to get their hands back on the trophy. Um, every team that wins a trophy wants the same thing. They want to win another one. And, and having lost the way they did last year, I think, uh, only drives them to do so more.
0: Brian's written, I think, three books about LeBron. The latest one, Return of the King, LeBron James, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the greatest comeback in NBA history. That said, I think you've covered LeBron since high school, maybe even middle school. Generally, what is the challenge? What is the fun also in covering the greatest player in the world for you?
1: Well, you know he's been to seven straight finals and eight overall, and that's a terrific thing. To uh, it's not so great for your family to say, "Yeah, May and Junior, I'm not going to be available." Um, but to uh, to have been here for this ride, the one thing I think that there almost isn't a scenario. People don't realize this. There almost isn't a scenario LeBron hasn't seen before. You know he's he's been at this point in the in the playoffs and recognized that you know he doesn't have the better team. It happened. In two thousand seven when he got swept by the Spurs. It happened in two thousand fourteen uh when he got when he lost four one to the Spurs again. Um and he's been on the other side of it too. He's he's won a finals four one. He's you know, he's he's been able to um to you know, to have all the moments. So he you know, even now, even in this situation, I mean, he's been here before. Um he's still got years left in his prime. And for everybody who wants to crown the Warriors for the next three years We'll just wait and see. We'll see what LeBron and the Cavs have up their sleeve, and and they'll go at it next year. And that's the one thing. There's always been a next year with LeBron. Someday that'll end. Someday somebody will take his throne from him in the East, but I don't really see that happening in the short term.
0: This is what I've said, Brian, about the Pacers or any team in the Eastern Conference. I think, honestly, right now I'm planning for AL after LeBron, two, three years down the road. Do you think that's fair and maybe the smart route for the majority of teams in the Eastern Conference?
1: Well, we'll have to see whether or not, like I think Boston is the most ascendant team in the East um, uh, because they have the draft picks and the cap space. They may not necessarily think that way, but if you look at a team like Toronto, you know, they've got a couple of 30-year-old free agents who are going to be expecting giant money, and if you're committing huge money to guys in their 30s, I don't know if that's the way to go. That might not be the time. Um, Don't they remind you of the Pacers
0: of years ago? That's exactly what they are to me. Good enough, but not enough to get over the Cleveland Cavaliers.
1: The, the Pacers were the better team. I mean the Pacers were sixty win teams. I mean, they had multiple all stars. You know, that you know, that, that Pacers team reminds me, you know, I really enjoyed those teams. It reminded me a lot of the Cavs teams in the late eighties and early nineties when they had Larry Nance and Mark Price and Brad Doherty. I mean, those guys were all all stars, and they had great teams, and they they had big aspirations, and they kept running into Jordan. They lost, I think, three out of four years to him in the playoffs. And Pacers the same way. Just because they ran into LeBron doesn't mean those weren't great teams. The same thing I'd say about the Cavs right now. Just because they're not dealing with LeBron and dealing with the Warriors right now doesn't mean they're not a great team. But only one out of thirty wins, um, you know. And you know, you have to de- you have to define. Success in other ways than, than just the championship.
0: Your latest story, Brian, Brian Winhorst of ESPN.com, is what's next for the Cavaliers? Already looking ahead, talked with more than 30 scouts. What do you see at this point on June 9th being next for the Cavaliers?
1: I don't see a, uh, a clear path for them. Um, you know, they are capped out and they don't have draft picks. Um, they don't have a simple path to all of a sudden hugely upgrade the roster. I think it's it's human nature to instantly just expect there to be major changes. I don't know if that's in the offing. I mean, certainly everybody in Cleveland is already asking about Paul George, but unless you can add Paul George for free, and secondly, I don't even see the Pacers having a trade interest in in dealing with the Cavs because I don't think they've really got pieces that interest them involving Paul um, unless they're just totally punting, which I, I don't see them doing. Uh, you know unless you're adding Paul George without taking away Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving I don't see how that really advances the ball that much I mean I do think that in general they need to get a couple of more two-way players if you look at them they have you look at their supporting players they're either good offensive players or good defensive players they're they're not two-way players which is why they struggle when LeBron's off the court but by the way finding those two-way players is hard you know, you know the Warriors have several and that's Why they're the champs? You know, it's it's not like you can just go find a two way player walking out on the street.
0: One of the things that fascinates me a little inside media is that most of what I consider the elite reporters don't ask questions at the press conference. Why do you guys not do that? Are you behind the scenes trying to talk with an agent or getting a player one on one? What is the philosophy behind that?
1: Well, primarily because there's a huge volume of people trying to get questions, and it's like this whole scene within a scene of people trying to get to the microphone, and I'm just not interested in doing that. Um, But yeah, I mean, typically we are operating with our phone rather than a microphone. Um, And, you know, we do talk to the players a little bit, but most importantly we talk to agents and front office people and coaches um, without there being any recording devices around. So um, sometimes, you know, you get frustrated because a player is not asked something in a press conference, but um, you know, yesterday LeBron was fantastic in his press conference. So, um, yeah, typically, um, you know, you don't always get the best stuff in a press conference. Sometimes you do, but most of the time it comes in reporting other ways.
0: And it's nicely transcribed by ASAP Sports, making it easy, easy for all of us. I do want to go back, Brian, about the Pacers and Paul George. Had Sage on yesterday, Sage Steele, and she said none of her colleagues there covering the finals think Paul George will stay. Are you hearing similar type of things?
1: Well, I think that I think Paul George has issued a pretty clear challenge to the Pacers, which is that he wants the team to dramatically improve, or he's going to, you know, consider leaving. And we just don't see where the dramatic improvement is going to come. Now, I'm sure that Kevin Pritchard is working on this, and he probably has a plan. Um, but the, the real, the reality, though, is the the, the window to effectively trade Paul and when I say effectively, I mean to get back a good return, has probably closed. Because the only way that you could trade Paul now and get a good return is if he were to agree to the terms of the trade so that he would agree to an extension. And that's very hard to get. That's essentially a no-trade clause. Certainly they could trade Paul somewhere without his permission, but the team acquiring him would only be realizing they'd be possibly renting him. And, of course, Paul's going to want to... Control over that because the team that would trade for him would get his bird rights. So it's a very complicated situation. Um, we've seen this happen in other with other players over the years, and it's typically ended poorly. Um, but we've also seen, you know, I always go back to the Kobe Bryant thing. You know, Kobe was going in for the final year of his contract, and he essentially demanded a trade publicly. That's just not essentially. He did demand a trade publicly, and the Lakers said, "You know what? You, you, you know, we're going to stick this out." And they ended up trading for Pau Gasol and making the finals that year. And I don't necessarily see that path with the Pacers, but I didn't see the path with the Lakers back then. So there is multiple paths here. Um, But we're in a transactional society, Scott. You know that. Mm -hmm. people, When they see a star and they smell the blood in the water, it often just becomes this type of game, Um, it's obviously way more complicated than that for the Pacers and their fans.
0: The challenge is it's hard to get a top 10, top 15, whatever you believe he is, in Indiana. And so you don't want to punt on him necessarily, but at the same time, if you know he's going, you'd like to get something so you're not OKC like they were with Kevin Durant. That's the challenge.
1: Exactly. I mean, like, like, as far as draft picks goes, you can't, nobody, not you, not anybody can promise me that trading for any pick in this draft is going to equal um, a player that is going to be as good as Paul George. I don't care who you are. You're never going to convince me of that. I'd rather have Paul George. i say the same thing about Jimmy Butler. You know, go ahead, trade for the number one pick. Can you tell me the guy you're going to take is going to be better than Jimmy Butler? You can't tell me that. There's no guarantees. The we know that. Right. That's the
0: reality. Last thing, you wrote Return of the King on LeBron and the Cavaliers after last year's title. Was it obvious that this would be widely consumed? And also, I wanted to publicly congratulate you. After the first week, it was named to the New York Times bestseller list. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, You know, basketball books typically aren't on the New York Times bestseller list. They make it every now and then. So um, I was really happy to get a lot of support, And, and it was especially pleasing that about seventy percent of the sales have been outside the state of ohio so even though it was a book that Cavs fans would find pleasing the story i thought was compelling and, and, and nba fans have shown that they have a lot of interest in it so it's been it's been a great experience
0: i'm curious do you have any idea how much of the demand was from like china because he seems like he has an incredible appeal lebron overseas like kobe
1: well we did a separate publishing deal in china and the book has just come out about two weeks ago so we're still looking at those numbers uh, unfortunately in china Piracy is rampant, so mm. the book was out in pirated <laughs> forms uh, for several weeks before we got it out in published forms. So, yeah, but the Chinese audience is huge. I mean, the the the, stre- the games that are uh, the streaming uh, rights in China, uh, ESPN is a partner with it, the, the company has the streaming rights, and they are getting 40 and 50 million people watching these games, which is a great number. And then when you realize that the games are being broadcast at 9 in the morning or 8 in the morning, um you realize how fantastic those numbers are and the appetite in China. Unfortunately, there's no Chinese players in the league. That would be even better for NBA business.
0: Thanks, Brian. I really appreciate you taking the time during your busy schedule to come on, and uh, we'll be following your coverage tonight. Thanks for having me. That's Brian Winhorst of ESPN. He's covered LeBron James since before anyone, honestly. I think it went back to middle school. And so if there's any story regarding LeBron, that's the first guy you want to go to. But it does feel like this series is over with. 3 nothing Golden State on top. And I don't expect them to come out lackadaisical or take this situation for granted, in part because they are fans of the games. They love it. And they appreciate the type of history that they have an opportunity to complete. And that's going undefeated, sweeping the postseason. They've lost one game since mid-March. That's truly remarkable to a uh, recognize and understand just how dominant just how impressive this Golden State Warriors team is and you don't see any signs that they'll be letting off the gas anytime soon Durant, Curry, Andre Godala they've made clear that they fully intend to sign new deals with the Golden State Warriors this summer. And why wouldn't you? When you got a great thing going, when you win god number of games, when you go to the postseason and really don't face too much of a test, you blow through your competition to the point where people are clamoring for more drama, more close finishes. And we somewhat got that in Game 3, but Durant scored 7 straight, Curry chipped in 4, they scored the last 11 points of the game, and boom. There's your game, 3-0, and this has got to be difficult, too, for Cavs fans. Buying an expensive ticket, maybe $200, $300 tonight, to go see the Cavs, and it's inevitable that the Warriors are going to win the NBA Finals for the second time in three years. It's just a matter of when, and I think that will happen tonight. That does it for this episode of the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. Thanks for listening.